welcome to the EMJ podcast. My name's Simon Carley and today I'm going to be taking you through the highlights of the October 2020 edition of the Emergency Medicine Journal. Now I know at this time there's all sorts of difficult, strange and weird stuff going on around emergency medicine across the planet. We've got COVID-19 which is now looking certainly in the northern hemisphere if it's going to be extending into the winter and I know that many people are going to be finding the next few months pretty tough. The MJ reflects this. We've got quite a lot of stuff in the journal about uh, the current state of affairs, but also other topics which still have to continue. I mean, emergency medicine in its general form is still going on. And certainly here in Manchester, where I work, the, the numbers of patients coming through the door now are very similar to what we had before COVID took place. So these are tough times ahead. And hopefully the EMJ and the, the literature and the information that's out there will help you get through the next few months. So this month's primary survey um, was put together by Caroline Leach, one of the associate editors with a particular interest in pre-hospital care. And um, it takes us through the, the, the more interesting papers. Well, all the papers are interesting, aren't they? But the ones that particularly caught Caroline's attention. So we're going to kick off with uh, frequent attenders and sort of reflect on, on what, what they mean to us in emergency medicine. And Caroline talks about um, a recent shift where she was talking with uh, nursing colleagues about patients that they see and know well. And within a few minutes, and I think you could probably do this yourself, you can list about 25 names of people who come on a regular basis. But frequent attenders are they're quite a heterogeneous population. And they include, well, lots of things. Patients with long-term brittle health conditions, with a high rate of hospital admission, those with many medically unexplained symptoms or chronic pain, and patients with substance abuse or health, mental health problems, and, or a combination of all of those. So this month we've got an article by Greenfield and colleagues using the hospital episode statistics for English emergency departments around 2016-2017 to assess the, the rates of frequent use. Of note, they, they actually removed duplicate attendances on the same day, so that was considered as the same event, but one in ten patients attended the ED more than three times a year, which is quite a lot. However, strikingly, 1.2% of patients attended six times or more, and these accounted for 7.6% of total attendances. In fact, over one million attendances to emergency departments. So it's probably this group where there might be an opportunity to reduce ED use with innovative patient-focused solutions. However, as Ellen, our lead editor, um, eloquently describes in this month's editorial, these patients should be seen as individuals with needs unmet by the general healthcare system. And while, yes, we can identify them in the ED, the difficulty is that the management requires a shared responsibility between primary care, community psychiatry, social work, and hospital specialists. So is it really an ED problem? The, the, the editorial is quite worth a read actually, because it, we have the problem, we're holding the baby, but actually the solutions may not be within our gift. The second paper is around the flow of emergency care use after suspected seizures. And we know that most seizures are self-limiting and they don't require emergency treatment. Despite this, and our pre-hospital colleagues will tell us, an ambulance is often called by bystanders and the patient ends up being brought to hospital. So the team in Sheffield in the UK aim to assess where efforts might be best placed to reduce urgent and emergency care use for this presenting condition. They successfully linked data from the Yorkshire Ambulance Service and their emergency calls with ED attendances and hospital admissions to track the flow of patients from scene into hospital. So interestingly, seizures made up 2.8% uh, of all ambulance incidents, quite a lot, um, and were generally categorised as the most urgent blue light response, category one response in the UK. And they found that 72% of patients were conveyed to hospital followed by a suspected seizure and 45% of patients were admitted, although we suspect a number of these were for short-term observation only. 
The challenge is to how we identify potential interventions to improve performance because that group of patients with seizures are, are really broad, aren't they? There are a group of patients there who've got significant pathology, but also there's a group of patients who have seizures and don't necessarily need a huge amount of intervention. Paper number three was looking at automated external defibrillators and some of the challenges around that. We've actually got two papers on AEDs this month. The first, by Dekenetel, assessed whether the event recording of heart rhythm and shock delivery from public accessed EDs in Paris could be effectively downloaded and interpreted. We don't do this in the UK, but it could provide useful clinical diagnostic information as well as assess bystander actions for CPR research and education. So the authors found that matching the recording to the name of the patient was inadequate. Some recordings couldn't be achieved and the overall quality of interpretation was actually quite poor. So there's quite a bit of work there to go to do with manufacturers to improve the technology and usability of this function. And the second paper by Fortington and colleagues reviewed 14 sports club facilities in Australia 12 months after they'd obtained an on-site AED as part of the government programme. Some common difficulties emerged in implementation, including concerns about security, inhibiting accessibility, inadequate signage and AD maintenance, and inconsistent engagement with a club medical emergency plan. These findings would be relevant to a lot of small community AEDs and schools, as well as local sports clubs, so lots of generalizability there. And just here, I'm going to tell you my very, very quick story about um, using an AED in Denmark. Myself and a colleague came across an out-of-hospital cardiac arrest, and we thought we were doing really well because um, we did the CPR and we asked for an AD to arrive. An AD arrived and in Denmark, it's called a Hersesturter or something like that. I probably pronounced it wrong. And we put it on the patient and we pressed go. And of course it spoke to us in Danish, which was somewhat confusing. And the patient made a full recovery, which is really good. But AD is great, but you do need to know how to understand the language and if you're using them abroad. Anyway, I digress. The next paper uh, Caroline's picked out is about how likely do ED attenders think resuscitation is going to be successful? Because we know that, well, certainly my impression is that the majority of our patients and relatives are pretty over-optimistic when they think about the success of CPR. So in this particular study in California, they looked at 500 adults in the ED waiting room, quite a good group to look at, and to look at their source of information, their preferences for CPR, and any confounding factors for their beliefs and the estimated success of CPR. I don't think this paper is going to surprise you, but it does remind us that most people's lived experience of resuscitation is very different from ours, and that will influence their expectations accordingly. And so when we're making end of life or, or having end of life conversations with patients and relatives, we do need to perhaps understand that their baseline is probably very different to ours. Next, uh, Caroline's um, picked out a paper on close air support, believe it or not, or COVID-19 clocking out of the day zone. So close air support uh, traditionally refers to the use of military air assets to support ground forces who are in proximity to a hostile target. So I'm agreeing with Caroline Ray. I'm not entirely sure it's the right terminology to describe junior surgical outpatient doctors clerking a suspected COVID-19 patient remotely via telemedicine before the ED physician goes in to physically assess them, but I kind of get the point. However, in this paper from Singapore, the authors do present a novel method of using relocated staff to support the ED workforce and to shorten the patient journey, whilst also maintaining a reduced viral exposure to staff. We've got some uh, good ideas in here, which I think can translate to other areas. Um, and also things like you know, interviewing a patient if they're well enough by their mobile phone, so you don't have to get too close to them. Then a couple more papers, um, one on lung ultrasound, which I've uh, got a conflict of interest, of course, because I think it's quite good and wrote a paper on it. So are you using lung ultrasound for COVID-19 in the ED? Well, 
We know that lung ultrasound has previously been described as the stethoscope of the new millennium. And indeed, in, in the US and other places, uh, they're actually giving ultrasound machines to medical students because they think it's going to be the way forward. And this month's practice review provides a comprehensive guide to ED ultrasound use for COVID-19 at a time when stethoscopes are not really around our necks. During the disease process, we see changes in the lung parenchyma. These tend to begin in the distal regions of the lung. So diagnosis of COVID-19 pneumonia is, is pretty well su suited to surface imaging, such as um, lung ultrasound. Uh, chest X-ray, not brilliant, actually. It's got a fairly low sensitivity, missing up to 40% of cases. And CT is a bit of a pain. Um, you've got the radiation exposure, the transfers, the decontamination. And for many people, it's not an available resource around the world. So lung ultrasound is already established in critical care pathways to monitor daily progression of COVID-19 pulmonary disease um, in response to things like treatment um, such as PEEP or proning, etc. But Caroline's a little unsure about how we would use this in the ED. It may have a role in identifying COVID-19 pneumonia in clinical well patients, but with risk factors for severe illness, um, who could potentially go home with pulse oximetry and follow-up monitoring. Or in my practice, I actually think it's quite useful in the early stages of ED management to identify those patients who don't have COVID, who you might think they do. Because I think there's a real risk that we think everything's COVID these days and we miss the patient with the bacterial pneumonia, the lung effusion, or in fact, just cardiac failure. And then lastly, a really important paper about thinking about our colleagues in Beirut. Don't forget, of course, that on the 4th of August, there was a catastrophic explosion of ammonium nitrate that tore through the Lebanese capital, killing and injuring thousands and destroying whole neighbourhoods. Some of the hospitals were severely damaged in the blast with structural instability and staff and patient victims, but yet they still had to receive casualties. So there's the view from here this month, I think is really good actually. It provides a real, real jarring insight into the initial hours after the tragedy uh, from three medical students who returned to the university hospital to lend help. It's been some time now, but we do offer all our best wishes for um, colleagues and patient staff and, and everybody really in Beirut on their road to recovery and restoration. So that's the, the primary survey. There's lots more in the journal, as always, that um, we'd encourage you to go and have a read. Contact us through our Twitter feeds and Facebook. Write to us, why not? Uh, with a pen and paper, it's still done by some people. Um, but yeah, it's a tough winter ahead in the Northern Hemisphere. I hope you guys in the Southern Hemisphere are enjoying the increasingly good weather. But yeah, stay sane, stay safe, look after yourselves, guys. Thank you.